Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're joining us. We started a new series last week called Different, and if you want to catch up, uh, it's available on different formats. Today's topic is different values in an ungodly culture. Now, I'll start with a question or a comment. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be different. You can bring that back up. <laughs> we have any technical difficulties? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to be different. If you've got a printed outline, it's on there. Um, now, this isn't that strange. If you're called to anything, you're going to be different than other people. If you're called to Buddhism, you're going to be different than Christians or Muslims. If you're called to be a Muslim, you're going to be different than Christians or Buddhists. Uh, if you're an atheist, you're going to be different than any of those. Uh, if you're called to be uh, a certain, um, well, nationality. If you're an American, you're going to be different than uh, Mexicans or Canadians. If you're uh, a sports follower, one team, you're going to be different than sports followers or another team. So this is just part of our, our culture, right? So it isn't surprising that as a Jesus follower, you're going to be different from people that aren't Jesus followers. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad that you're here. You'll find out how we consider ourselves different, and um, you can debate that with us or discuss that with us afterwards. So we're in a, this, this series is about a part of the Bible, it was called First Peter. Peter, one of the apostles, wrote it. It was during a time in the Roman Empire when Nero was emperor, and he was um, persecuting Christians. Uh, he was actually torturing and killing them just because they were Christians. So it was a very difficult time to be a, a Jesus follower. So Peter is writing to, to Christians in this environment. And one of the major themes of this letter is that of hope, which seemed counter, kind of uh, counterintuitive, right? Well, we're being persecuted, we can have hope. And so that's one of the amazing things are part of this letter. Um, so here, uh, the letter starts this way. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the providences of eight different parts of Asia. Now, what does that word foreigner mean? Well, it's translated lots of different ways. It's interesting. Sometimes it's translated foreigner. Sometimes it's translated exiles. Uh, sometimes it's translated sojourners. You can bring that slide up. Sometimes aliens and sometimes strangers. One thing that all these things have in common is that it, you're different, right? If you're an exile, you're different. If you're an alien, you're different. If you're a stranger, you're different. So he says, okay, Jesus followers, you're going to be different. Part of that difference, unfortunately, is you're going to be persecuted because you're a Christian. So the flip side of this, one of the biggest obstacles for them and for you and I is this. To be fully following Jesus is your desire to fit in. That's an obstacle. Now, we all want to fit in, right? We all want to be liked. We all want to, people to like us and let us join in. But that can be an obstacle if you're a Jesus follower because Jesus didn't call us to fit in. He called us to be different or he called us to stand out. Not stand out weirdly, but stand out in our going above and beyond for our fellow man, uh, in our love for people, our forgiveness for people, our generosity, etc. So yesterday at uh, Smithsburg Days, there were all these vendors, right? 
selling stuff and all these food trucks selling stuff. I don't know if we were the only one, but we, we were certainly a minority because we weren't selling anything. All right? We were providing a service. We were providing uh, for these children. And uh, people tried to give us donations and we refused it. All right? So we were different just in a simple way of not making money yesterday. So, there's a verse of Scripture, Paul wrote this, that, that digs into this, that describes this difference. And it's in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And I'm going to read it from what's called the Amplified Version that kind of expands the meaning of the verse. It says, Do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs. So, Paul is saying, okay, as Christians, we don't have superficial values and customs, but the general world does. So he says, but, don't be conformed, but be transformed or be changed or be different and progressively changed. So this is something happens once. This is an ongoing thing. We'd say growth or maturity, right? In fact, it says in this translation, as, a mature, as you mature spiritually. How do you mature spiritually? By renewing of your mind. That means focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. We don't have necessarily godly or, uh, values or ethical attitudes in our culture or any other culture. But at Jesus followers, we do. Now, it goes against our nature. What is our nature? Our nature is to be what? Self-centered. Our nature is to be selfish, right? And so this goes beyond. So <laughs> uh, those of us who, that volunteered yesterday, we gave our time and energy, right? <laughs> to service these or serve these kids and their families. Right? That wasn't a selfish act. That was a selfless act, right? We didn't have anything to gain from that. Um, so, again, why do we want to fit in? Or I put it on your outline this way. Why do we want to be normal? Why do we want to be like everybody else? Because normal is not all that desirable. I uh, know some statistics, for example, the average American lives paycheck to paycheck. I can't imagine living like that. That's a horrible way to live. And some of you probably have to live that way, or cho chosen to live that way. The average American is, uh, has more debt than they have value. I, I don't want that kind of normal. The average American, because of those things and other things, are uh, stressed and, and full of anxiety and... Um, Again, that's, that's not something I desire, but that's what's normal. And as I said last week, most Americans don't have much hope. Most Americans don't like their job. How horrible is that? You spend 40 hours a week doing something you don't like. So why do we want to be normal? In fact, Jesus told us not to be. Sermon on the Mount, beginning of his ministry, he said something that's a little disturbing. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads away way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it. So there's this broad, easier path that the ends in destruction or eternal loss. But most people, many people, that's what they've chosen. But small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel. It certainly was for those people in the first century. Many of them died just because they chose to follow Jesus. 
Small is the gate, narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life, and there are few who find it. Most of us like to try the easy path, right? We don't want the hard way. Well, I'll tell you, working, serving those kids yesterday wasn't easy, was it? Um, so, but it's few, and that's sad for me. Hopefully it's sad for you, too. Most people don't choose to follow Jesus. They don't choose to find this better path, even though it might be more difficult. This path where we have hope, and we have peace, etc. So, we're going to look back at 1 Peter, and we ended in verse 12 last week, so we're going to pick it up in verse 13 today. So, prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. That's good instruction, right? Prepare your minds for action. Be alert. Be attentive. Look around you. Figure out what's going on. And prayer for action and exercise self-control. Exercise discipline. Discipline of paying attention, but also discipline to do the things that require you to take action. Put all your hope, there's that word hope, we have hope, put all your hope in the grace of salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Okay, so you're struggling now, you're being persecuted, some of you are being uh, uh, killed, martyred uh, for your faith, but (laughs) put your hope where? Not in this life, you're just passing through, you're a sojourner, in the grace of salvation to come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So the text goes on. He says, so, so you must live as obedient children. Then he has this interesting phrase, don't slip back into your old ways of living. Which is what? To satisfy your own desires. Again, self-centered, selfish. Um, The funny thing is, we don't slip into holiness. We don't slip into righteousness. We don't slip into good things, do we? You know, I really wanted to do bad, but I just accidentally did good. That's not how, how we operate, is it? That's not our nature. It doesn't happen accidentally. It takes effort and it takes self-discipline to do good things. <clears throat> and he said, you didn't know better then. Before we knew Jesus, we didn't know any better. We were self-centered and selfish and that's just our nature. We didn't know any better. But now that we know better, there's a, there's a better way. There's a way to be selfless. There's a way to serve others. Of course, there's still some things probably we don't know better because we still do stupid stuff, right? <laughs> we do stuff we shouldn't do. We do sinful stuff. We are selfish sometimes. Text goes on. But now you must be, must be what? Holy in everything you do, just as God has chosen you, you is holy. God is holy. Jesus follower, we need to be holy too. It doesn't say perfect. We'll talk about what holy is in a few minutes. Now, for the Scripture says, now, for Peter, who, what was Scripture? Scripture was Old Testament. <laughs> this letter he's writing is what, part of what we call our New Testament. So, at least three times in the book of Leviticus, it says, you must be holy, because I am holy. Now, how are you and I holy? Can you make yourself holy? No, you and I can't make ourselves holy. We're just not holy by nature. We're sinful by nature. So God 
through Christ, comes into our lives to make us holy. Text goes on. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favors. Isn't that wonderful? I don't know about you, but um, when you were in school, the teacher had a, a teacher's pet, somebody they favored in the class. Unless it was you, maybe you liked it. But if it wasn't you, you didn't like it very much, did you? Hopefully your parents didn't have a favorite child if you've got siblings. God doesn't have any favorites. He treats us all the same. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear or awe or, or worship of Him during your time here on, notice this, <laughs> this phrase, temporary residence. We're all temporary residents here on earth, right? We're born, we live, and we're going to die. Now we believe that that's not the end of life. So we're temporary residents here now, residents in eternity later. Now we talked about being obedient children, not spoiled children. And part of the problem with believers in our culture today is I think we're spoiled. And we'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes. But we should live grateful, thankful lives for what Jesus has done for us. In fact, I put on your outline next. Some people believe that God's highest calling purpose for us is what? God just wants to make you happy. All right? And I take the blame. People like me, preachers get up and talk uh, about Christianity. That we've given this false impression, I think, in some respect. That God wants you to be happy. Now, Problem with the word happy is this. Happening, happiness depends on happenings, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I would th- say that you probably have some good happenings in your life and some not-so-good happenings in your life. And when the not-so-good ones happen, you're not happy. I'm not happy. That's just natural, right? So when you focus on happiness, big problem is this. I can do wrong. Because God wants me to be happy. Right? That, 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 that follows. Okay? If the end is it's going to make me happy, what you, God, or other people may consider wrong, I think it's okay. Because it makes me happy. So, I'm married. I walk down the aisle. I, I made these vows to, to love this person for the rest of my life. And somewhere along the line, I'm not happy anymore. I said, okay, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to be happier without you. Right? Scripture says that's wrong. And the list is endless of things that you and I would do to try and make us happy that would be considered wrong. So what is God's highest calling for us? Put it on your outline. Highest calling for Jesus followers is what? Not our happiness, but our holiness. Not, you know, what makes me feel good, but connects me to God the Father. The interesting thing is when you do that, it does make you happy if you're a Jesus follower. When we believe that God wants us to be happy, there's another part of the problem. Suddenly, for example, discomfort. That's not God's will. It's not God's will for me to be out in the heat yesterday and, and serve those kids. That made me uncomfortable. That wasn't God's will. Uh, delays. How many of you like delays? How many of you like to have to be patient? None of us like that, right? So I can't be God's will. I'll give you a 
illustration from my past. When I was 17, I said, okay, God, I think you want me to be a pastor, preacher. And so, you know how long it was before I became one? Ten years. That's quite a while, isn't it? That's quite a delay. Any of you to go off to college to, to, to enter some type of profession, there's a delay. Well, delays can't be God's will. If I, I'm not happy delaying. What about risk? Risk can't be God's will because it doesn't make me happy. Inconvenience even. Are you ever inconvenienced? I'm inconvenienced sometimes. I can't be God's will because it doesn't make me happy. So what boils down to is you and I begin to worship happiness, or you might want to use the word comfort. That's my priority. God doesn't say that's our priority. In fact, I put it on the outline this way. God does not exist to serve us. Um, He promises to supply our needs, but He doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. So when I wake up in the morning, I I say, okay, this is what I want to do, God. No, I'm supposed to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Right? Because not to serve me, but to serve Him. So back to our word holy. What does holy mean? Well, holy means uh, set apart. I said that last week. So God is holy, so God is set apart. You and I are to be holy, so we are supposed to be set apart. Sometimes we think of the word pure. That's a little confusing because none of us are going to be 100% pure, right, in this world. And then the word different. It means being different. Not, again, in a weird way, a bad way, but in a good way. So this is a little strong statement, but I believe it's true. If you're not different from the rest of the world, if you're not different from the other people at work or at school that don't claim to be Christians, then you're not a Jesus follower either. You might think you are, you might say you are, but you're not. Now, as a Jesus follower, we don't seek to be weird. (laughs) We, We don't seek to be different, but we are different. We don't seek to, 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 to what's that? make people think we're better than them. That, we're not. In fact, we should humble ourselves and serve other people. <clears throat> we slip up. We make mistakes. Um, but we need to be different. Again, different in a positive way. Be more loving, more, more forgiving, more generous with our time and energy, etc. Part of the problem is we have an enemy. You can call him Satan, you can call him the devil, you can call him evil, whatever it is. And Satan doesn't want us to do that, right? So we say it, John, John records it this way, Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a deceiver. So when we follow him, when we try and fit in with the world, for example, uh, he's deceiving us. He's not telling us, oh, I'm trying to steal something from you. I'm not trying to kill something. I'm trying to destroy something. He's saying, no, this is fun. This is bring you happiness. It'll bring you comfort. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, there's this interesting exchange between Satan and, and the first woman. Satan said to the woman, did God really say? Now, I'm going to read what he's, he's quoting God, and you tell me if that's what God really said. Those of you that are aware of book of Genesis. You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Is that what God said? 
Is that what God said? No, 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 no. He said there's a tree in the garden you can't eat from. But he didn't say you couldn't eat from. In fact, he said you can eat from all the other trees. So he didn't really quote God because he didn't want to quote God because he wanted to be deceptive. And that's the way I think he deceives us even to this day. So I put on your outline this question. Did God really say, and you can fill it in with whatever you want, One of the things now is a trend, and if somebody's watching, I'm glad you're watching. But church isn't watching. And remember the Sabbath? That's one of the uh, big Ten Commandments, right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Part of that is worshiping with other believers. It just is. That's God's command. So did God really say you could just stay home and watch? No, He didn't say that. You've got to pour your life into other people. And let other people put their lives into you. Uh, did God really say you could have sex outside of marriage? That's fine. No, God, I mean, a lot of people do it, but God didn't say that. You fill it in whatever you want. Does God say you should, you know, have tremendous debt and not be able to be generous with your finances? No. He wants us to be generous. Well, if I'm in, in, in large debt, I can't be generous. Um, I encourage you all to be in small groups, and I have two small groups I, I have each week, and you have access to these questions. We come up with questions from what I've talked about on Sunday that we talk about in our small group. So I'm going to give you four examples from this week's message just to get you to think. Maybe you can think about it, or if you're here with a spouse or a family member, you can talk it over with them or talk it over with somebody that's not here. For example, what are three areas that I struggle with trying to fit in? So analyze your life. What are the places I'm trying to fit in that I shouldn't try to fit in? Going there or watching this or doing this because everybody else is. Another question, when, when is it a time when I put my happiness above God's call for holiness? I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't do this, but I think it'll make me happy. So God, I'm going to ignore it what you say I should do. Uh, what are the biggest ways I am different from the world? So this is on the positive way. Okay, so I, yes, I'm more generous than the average person, or I do spend time in worship on a Sunday or whatever day you want to worship. And fourth question, in what areas of my life does God want me to be different? So, okay, analyze. Okay, this is a part of my life where I'm kind of trying to fit in when I shouldn't be trying to fit in. This is an area I need to work on. This is an area I need to change. This is an area I need to be different. So I want to end with this this morning. Why does all this matter? What I've been talking about for the last 15, 20 minutes. Why does it matter? Why does what Peter say matter? Well, Peter tells us, all right? So we're just going to continue on with the text. He's going to tell us why this matters, why this is so important. So then he goes on and says, For you know, he said we're supposed to be holy as God is holy. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. I love that phrase, empty life. Without Jesus, this life is empty. And a lot of people are looking for something. They don't know what they're looking for, and they, and they can't find it because they're looking outside of Jesus. But notice he said, God paid a ransom. Can you pay your own ransom? Now, you can't pay it. You don't have the currency to pay it. Because he said it's not by silver and gold. 
Some of you may have lots of money. You think, well, I can pay my own ransom. No, because this ransom can't be paid with money. So we can't pay it. So what does it need to be paid with? And he tells us, the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, the only sinless person ever lived. He's the only one who could pay it. So God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. So God at the end of creation said, I'm going to create mankind. They're going to mess up. They're going to sin. They're going to screw up. They're going to turn their back on me. But I don't want to be separated from my creation for all eternity. So, son, I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. Son, I need you to go to earth, live a perfect life, suffer and die for all mankind so we can have a relationship for, with them for eternity. See, it wasn't an afterthought. God had planned this way back at the beginning. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. So the text goes on. <clears throat> Through Christ, you've come to trust in God. Establish that relationship. And you have placed your faith and hope, there's that word hope again, in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. We say it over and over again. basis of uh, uh, Christianity is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it didn't happen, Christianity is a, is a waste, right? But it did happen. I came across this interesting uh, discussion, I think it was on Facebook, between, uh, uh, I guess he was an atheist, claiming, why do you Christians believe in life after death? We, you know, we just die. You don't have any proof. And the, and the guy came back with a really wise Well, uh, let me ask you, how do you, what proof do you have that there isn't life after death? Has anybody ever came back? So, people that don't believe in life after death have no more proof than those of us that believe. In fact, they have less proof. Because we have pretty good proof that Jesus rose from the dead. And he lives eternally. And he promised us we were going to live too for eternity. Now, sometimes we get this backwards. So, I put it on your outline. Living holy is not the path to knowing Christ. Now, this is how religion works. And Christianity, as I've told you many times, is not really a, a religion. It's a relationship. So in all the religions of the world, you try and live good enough so that your God will accept you. Right? That's how all religions of the world work. You're hoping your God will like you, He'll accept you. It's been eternity. But Christianity works differently. Knowing Christ is the path to holiness. And I think it's so fascinating, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you want to change, don't they? Now you still have a sinful nature and want some things you shouldn't want. But you want to change. You want to be a better person. You want to be a more loving person. You want to be a more generous person. You want to, be a, uh, you want to serve people. You want to be more humble. I don't force myself. It's not my self-will doing this. It, it comes part of my new nature. Sometimes we say it this way. I'm living for an audience of one. When you're trying to fit in, you're, you're, you're living for an audience of how many other people are trying to fit in. But the cool thing about this is what? So if I'm living for an audience of one, if I'm trying to please him, I'm married, for example, do you think my wife will be happy with that? Absolutely. Think my kids will be happy with that? Absolutely. I think you will be happier with me as your pastor if I'm living for an audience of one. Pastors have a problem with trying to please people too, just like everybody else. 
So on your outline, we're just about finished. This is not outward behavior modification. That's what the world does. You know, you got to, you know, make yourself do these things. It's an inward spiritual transformation. It changes your want tos. It's not a have to. Become more and more like Jesus. So I want to finish up with that verse in Romans again to remind you. Do not be conformed to this world with its superficial values and customs. Something better. Be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually. How do you do that? By renewing your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. That's my prayer for you. Let me pray with you. Uh, Father God, I thank you for this transformation that you work in and through us from the inside out. Because it's really hard and we're not very good at doing it from the outside in. I call self, <coughs> self-will, uh, not self-will. Self-discipline, not self-discipline. We only do it for a while and then we fail. So I thank you that we have this hope. Because life can be really frustrating. Some of my bad habits are like, I don't seem to be able to break. But I can have hope that God, through your spirit, I can get victory over these things. And I thank you for the hope we have of eternity. We have hope. Those without Jesus do not have hope. So we pray for anyone that may be listening or watching that's not a Jesus follower. Today would be the day that you step across that line. You'd come to realize, yeah, Jesus was God's son. And he came to earth to die for, for you, for me. And by putting my faith, my trust in him, asking forgiveness, my sins are forgiven. And I have a relationship with the almighty God, a personal relationship. Starts now and goes on for eternity. And we talked about doubts. Well, doubts will come. But we have hope. And I thank you, God, that we are different. Different in a good way. Because this points people to you. Say, why is that person so kind? Why is that person so generous? Oh, you find out later, oh, it's because they're Jesus followers. Or why do they have hope even in the midst of tragedy? Uh, they're different. Oh, yeah, they're Jesus followers. So God, I pray that you, we will take this seriously. and We will be different. Not we are different, but different in our, our generosity and our love and our gracious, graciousness. So people say, hey, there's something different about them. Oh, they love and follow Jesus. I thank you for that, God. That we can have a, a witness, a testimony. Not that we are a better person than anybody else, but through you, you've changed us to make us people to serve others and serve you, God. Thank you for meeting in this place, God. Thank you for your word that we've studied and spoken to us. And I pray that we will be, as you instructed, obedient children. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.